seen a lot of people facing it around you. And I just want to tell you that sometimes God's building outward growth in a church, but then sometimes he's building inward growth, and he's building a deep bonding. And crises and challenges like this actually pull a community together. And when God looks at you, he's not looking at maybe surface things in growth that you may be looking at. He's actually looking, or how are you living my gospel with one another? How are you living the kingdom with one another? And the early church had some challenges as the body of Christ. So, and Peter wrote to them, you know, it's a time of persecution. How are we going to live? In Acts, they had Good. to say, we're, we're, right. we're entering a time of persecution. How are we going to live? And, and when you have a, um, a challenge like Doug and Cindy have had, the church is answering the same question. How are we going to live? Is it going to be a place of convenience for us, or is it going to be a place of coming together and prayer and sacrifice and serving and letting some other things go while you pull together to do that? And I just want to honor you because the testimonies I've heard is you have done that. You have done that, and God honors that. See, God's looking for how are you going to live love with one another and you put on the cloaks of love you you filled your heart with I'm willing to go all the extra miles that it takes in a in a time like this because it takes a lot it it really takes a lot but I just want to honor you and I really feel the pleasure of the Lord over you for what you've done and how you've done it and how well you've done it so amen bless y'all thank you babe that's right and we've, we had amazing victory with our son, Adam. Some of you know you were praying for us. And so it's, you know, I'll tell you what, there, there are battles in life. This is life. But guess what? They're just, they're just victories waiting to be released and experienced. They really are. You know, problems are just answers in raw form. <laughs> solutions in hiding. I see problems as solutions in hiding. And so we had a major victory, and we had a whole lot more victory than the healing. Our son is healed, but actually, in fact, I know that I shared this with Doug when we were when he first called me and told me about what was going on with Cindy. And when we first had this, it was last year, July 2018, and um, the Holy Spirit gave me uh, Deuteronomy 28.7. It says, the Lord, your God, will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come in one way, but flee seven. And now... That's, oh, here it is. He's going he's to attack you in one area, but he's going to flee in seven. That means there's a minimum of seven victories you have. A minimum. And that's in an inferior covenant. And so he says, Bill, I want you to watch for all the victories and celebrate every one of them. We had so many victories and impact. And the reason why that's so important is because it's, it's about a journey. With, it's not just about a getting a healing. It's about the, a journey with the healer. It's a relationship. And so many people are kind of focused on, well, this outcome, and they miss, you know, so much that the Holy Spirit's doing with them along the way. And so our lives were transformed, and and we got a whole lot of testimony and weaponry in our arsenal. And you're getting the same thing. I've heard the testimonies of what's been happening there. So, I mean, the devil always overplays his hand. I mean, he really does. So anyway, but it's good to be here. Good to be with you. We love this house. Somebody's happy about it. And uh, we really do. I don't, think, I don't see myself as a guest. I know I hear that. Well, we've got a guest speaker. We are family. Family. 
I've been here long enough to no longer be a guest, okay? But anyway, I'm, I'm messing with you. Love this guy. Love this house and what the Holy Spirit's doing. And um, I, I have my two of my, well, my two books. I was going to say two of my books. I've got two of my books here. <laughs> I got my two books. <laughs> Just realize I only got two. <laughs> but they're good books. I mean, they really are. And this one uh, was my first book, Unstoppable Kingdom. Actually, it was uh, the final project for my, uh, for my doctorate in strategic leadership and apostolic leadership culture uh, and transformation. And um, I mean, let me just say this. This is not, if you want to read something very quickly like the comics, you know, this isn't it. If you want to just skim, this is not a skimming kind of book. It is, it is loaded. Um, it is, it's, re, it's, it's scholarly, it's theological, it's revelational, inspirational, and experiential. And it really is about um, the, the values, um, those, those core um, characteristics of, of, of that, 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 that apostolic character that becomes literally characteristic of a community of people um, who, who literally can bring transformation, sustainable transformation and change to an entire city and an entire region. In fact, I just, I, I just want to read this because I'm just blessed that he said it. Uh, Dan McCullum, how many know Dan McCullum? I mean, an incredible prophet, apostolic leader. He said this book by Dr. Bill is the most accurate and thorough and satisfying revelation on the subject of the apostolic yet. And uh, so, it, so anyway, um, and so uh, does anybody have a birthday today? Any birthdays today? Any anniversaries today? Okay. How about a birthday coming this week? Do I see a, all right, there you go. Fantastic. I have no idea if you want it, but um, that's what you get for putting your hand up. Okay. Um, and, um, <laughs> and this is the book I just came out with last year called Let Love Lead. And in fact, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you an option because if you would rather have this one than that one, after I tell you about this one, you can make an exchange, okay? You can do that, all right? Let love lead when love wears a leader. And, and um, this is an easy read, okay? Short chapters, but powerful, impacting. Um, what does love look like in the outfit of a leader? Um, let love lead answers the question. This is not a touchy-feely book about love. It does not attempt to explain the different kinds of love. There are plenty of books that already do that. It's a no-nonsense look at the attitudes, motivations, behaviors, actions, and effects that happen when love wears a leader. And um, so anyway, this is, this is fantastic. Um, and it's not just, listen, well, um, it's for leaders. You're, everybody's a leader. Leadership is about influence. It's about change and transformation. And our life journey is about that. So it's not about leadership in a, in a you know, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a specific office or a specific place of, of, of responsibility. It really is about our life journey of influence. And so would you, re- which, would you, would you want to exchange it or are you happy with that one? All right, fantastic. Good for you. All right. Does somebody um, going to have, oh, I see a hand go up. What, what, why, why is your hand going up? Oh, oh. I can't argue with that. I just can't argue with that. All right. All right. <laughs> you bet. Bless you. Fantastic. Okay. And the rest of you can get a book. You just got to pay a little bit. Okay. And out the back. In fact, 15, what's that? 
Okay, $15 a book, but if you get both, um, it's for $25. So $40 for both? Oh, well, for you, $40. Okay. Anyway, and just, just to make sure we have an appropriate atmosphere of spirituality. Okay, I'm a little bit concerned that we're not spiritual enough in this room. And so, uh, there's not a body fluid, but there's me in there, for sure. Um, once there was a little boy who lived in the country. The family still used an outhouse. <laughs> there's, there's something in there. You knew it was coming. The family still used an outhouse, and the little boy hated it because it was so hot in the summer, freezing cold in the winter, and it stank all the time. The outhouse was sitting on the bank of a creek, and the boy was determined that one day he would push that old outhouse straight into the creek. One day after a heavy spring rain, the creek was swollen. The little boy decided today was the day to push that stinky outhouse into the creek. Got himself a loud pole and started to push against it. Finally, after much effort, the outhouse toppled into the creek, floated away. Yay! That night, his dad told him they were going to the woodshed after supper. The boy knew that meant a spanking. So he said, why? Dad replied, well, someone pushed the outhouse into the creek today. It was you, wasn't it, son? Boy answered, yes. Then the boy thought a moment and said, Dad, I, I read in school today that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree and didn't get into trouble because he told the truth. The dad replied, well, son, George Washington's father probably wasn't in that cherry tree. <laughs> Has anybody ever felt like that? Felt like that father kind of rolling down a hill in the crapper. <laughs> Life can be like that. Uh, that's it, yeah, she, that's right. She, doesn't, she still doesn't get me. You know, <laughs> okay, well, it is really, really good to be here. And, um, yeah, this, in fact, I, I really, there were so many things I was, you know, we had a great time this weekend, Friday night and then Saturday. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's doing so much with so many. I mean, he really is. And, uh, and that includes just, you know, a, a lot of, you know, we're stewarding a lot in our relationship with him, our relationship with one another. And, and really until this morning, you know, there were just so many things that were stirring. And, and I felt like this morning the Holy Spirit made it very clear to me what he wants me to share. So if you're not happy with it, you have to talk to him, okay? Um, anyway, did you know that God did not give Israel did not give Israel promises in the land of Canaan. Say it all, it's quiet. God did not give Israel promises in the land of Canaan. God gave Israel the promised land of Canaan. There's a big difference between promises in the land and having promised land. It really is. There is a big difference between just having a promise, promises in the land mentality and a promised land mentality. 
You see, whenever we go looking for promises in the land, rather than seeing the whole land of promise, our faith gets relegated to sometimes rather than all the time. The glory is sort of relegated to somewhere rather than everywhere. Our faith becomes occasional rather than perpetual. You know that's true. And the enemy likes to give us a whole lot of spaces where we're just sort of in maintenance mode. And it's such a lie. It really is. It's not about promises in the land. It's about an entire land of promise. And just like Israel was called to enter, occupy, and possess a promised land, we're called to enter, occupy, and possess the kingdom everywhere. And sadly, many believers... Maybe some of us are real good at entering and occupying, but we never get into the possessing realm. And there's a difference. Enter, occupy, and possess. Some of us are sometimes no better than how we enter and occupy a restaurant. You enter the door, you occupy some space, you occupy a table, you occupy a menu. You know, wow, this menu's amazing. You know, have you ever noticed how food looks better on the menu than on your plate? Anybody ever notice that? And that's sometimes how it is. And then, and can you imagine if you just get up and leave and don't possess what's on the menu? And a lot of Christians are like that. A lot of believers are like that. We're kind of coming in, we're, and we're, we're admiring the menu. Wow, look how good that looks. And, and the goal is to possess it. It's an experiential faith. It's something that we're supposed to experience on a consistent basis everywhere. Now, now the book of Joshua, this kind of surprises people, but the book of Joshua is a God-inspired, timeless operations manual for how to enter, occupy, and possess. You know, Joshua, Yeshua, in the Greek, it's Isus, which is what? Jesus. It's the book of Jesus. And this, the, the book of Joshua, see this, the Bible is a treasure map. The Bible literally is the treasure map. But the book of Joshua is the decoder of the treasure map. And I'm going to show you a couple of these. And if you'd like to open your Bibles, whether you have it in paper form or smartphone. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible on your smartphone, it's a dumb phone. That's just what it is. It's not a smartphone. It doesn't have the Bible on it. And so I would like to give you some of these. I mean, the entire book of Joshua, for the most part, the entire book is loaded with the revelation and the activation how to enter and occupy a promised land. And we need to remember that because God is working with you based on his lens, not yours. And he's not just seeing promises, but he's seeing a land, a journey, a lifestyle, um, a host of relationships. And all of that factors in to the possessing of your promised land, to possessing the kingdom uh, in your journey in your backyard. And so I just want to give you a few of these. 
You can see how it works and however the Holy Spirit wants to apply it for us in here this morning. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. These are, think about it, these are God's first recorded words to Joshua. The very first, and that's not there by accident. Nothing's here by, by chance. It's not random. It all has divine purpose, divine intentionality. You need to understand that about the Word. Everything, and it, everything in the Word has your life in mind. Romans 15.4 says, What was written in earlier times was written for your instruction. So all of this has your life in mind. It's about your current journey. It knows that you're here. Knows the environment you're in, the relationships you have. So when you go to this, and you realize, and well, let me, I'll tell you what, how many have never heard me speak before? Raise your hand. Where have you been? No, I'm, that's way too many. I've got to do this. There's, you gotta, there is no book like this book. Got to understand, there is no paper like this paper. You see, it's really important that I, I, your approach to this word is a big deal. You get out of it according to your approach. Just like a relationship, you get out of a relationship according to your approach. There's not, see, when you open this, it opens you. When you get in it, it gets in you. You see, the reason why it's so powerful, because what's on the page won't stay on the page. And here's a new thought for many people in here about the Bible. You know, when I go to spend time with my friend Doug, when I'm spending time with him, he knows I'm spending time with him. He's conscious of my visit. Were you ready for this? When you go to spend time in the Word, it knows. The the Word of God isn't just ink on paper. It's living and active. It's aware of your presence. And when you show up, it knows. And it goes searching for the least bit of hunger and faith and openness and humility. Why? Because it makes you what it is. You're in the book. So we read this, it has your life in mind. And so the first recorded words to Joshua is, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, contrary to the opinion of some, this is not diminishing Moses. You know, there's sort of the Joshua generation crowd. You know, it's, it's all about, you know, Moses is irrelevant, he's insignificant, he doesn't matter, get him out of here, he's old, he's gray like Doug. Let me tell you something, that's not what this means. Implicit in the Joshua generation is Moses. In fact, if you take Moses out of Joshua, there's no Joshua taking Israel into the promised land. Implicit in successful tertiary education is primary school and high school. You don't get to iPhone 10 till you get 1 through 9. You know what I'm saying? You cannot dishonor the previous generation and go into the next thing that God has for your life. All progressive and sustainable revival and development is multi-generational. So he's not dishonoring Moses. 
Joshua would, would never be able to do what he's doing without that season of injection and investment and valuing and stewarding what had been entrusted to him. Can someone say amen? You guys are like Baptists this morning. Come on. I love Baptists, but I need some noise. Thank, okay. Thank you. All right. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. All right. You make me work way too hard, you know. This is really good stuff. Change your life. See, here's, here's what's going on. It wasn't about diminishing Moses. See, what it does is highlighting the necessity of change. New ideas, new thoughts, new behaviors, new relationships, new strategies, new structures. I mean, if, if you don't like change, you won't like heaven. You're really not going to like heaven. God is a God of surprises. You know what the weirdest thing is? God's eternal. There's, and that means we're always going to discover new stuff. We want to know God. And as soon as he shows up with new stuff, man, we, we have a cadenza. You know? We throw a fit. We get mad. You know, that's part of our possessing the promised land is going to require some new stuff. Some changes. God's going to bring in and through our lives. New relationships, new opportunities, new steps of faith, new risks. That's part of the process. It really is. And whenever, whenever we camp around what's meant to be built upon, we become managers of monuments rather than carriers of the kingdom. We become sustainers of the status quo rather than stewards of a better tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. And that's what religion does. Camps out around, you know, rather than, no, you build upon. You build upon. If you walk in this room and say, man, everybody's just like me. Man, I, I want to be here. No, no, no. If everybody's just like you, then you can never be more than what you already are. Thank God for diversity and challenge and change. People not like you. Amen. It's a big deal. And so we realize that it's, it's about, now Joshua going into promise is different to coming out of bondage. See, Moses brought him out of bondage. But there's a difference between coming out of bondage, having degrees of breakthrough, and possessing your promised land. They're not the same thing. They're not. And I want you to notice that that Moses, my servant, is dead was a preface to another statement. It was a preface. It was connected to a, another statement, which is cross this. He says, now arise, therefore, and cross this Jordan, you and all this people. Think about that. Moses, my servant, is dead. Wasn't diminishing him. But the implication is there's going to have to be something new, something else you're going to do. You're not going to do it the old way. He says, how, he connects it to rise and cross the Jordan. Joshua would have remembered the crossing of the Red Sea 40 years earlier, would he? How could, unforgettable, unforgettable. I mean, that would have been so emblazoned upon his psyche, his memory banks, his cerebral cortex. How could you forget that? How many remember, you know, uh, the Ten Commandment movie, Cecil B. DeMille's, 
you know, Charleston Heston, you know, on the brow, you know, of the, of the hill overlooking the Red Sea with his staff. Woo! You know, how do you forget that? See, Joshua would, would have remembered the Red Sea, Moses' staff, leading with his gift, right? Which represents God, there are, God gives leaders callings, gifts, and ministries to help bring us out of bondage. It's true. All of us have been blessed by the gifts, the ministries, the callings, the graces on individual leaders, bringing us out of bondage. That's how I got born. I wouldn't have got born again if there hadn't been somebody there with a gift of evangelism and shared the gospel with me. And then there are degrees of breakthrough that come as a result. We know that. But Moses, my servant, is dead means that, you know, we're going to get some breakthrough. We're going to come out of some bondage, but you're not going to go into the promised land that way. You're not going to get into your promised land because of the gift or the ministry or the authority on another person. That's what's being said here. It's not going to happen. It happens differently. And how does it happen? For Joshua and us, what do we see? The water ceased to flow. It stopped flowing. The River Jordan, when? When the priests, right? When the priests, the plurality of priests holding the Ark of the Covenant all stepped into the water. That's how it happened. Well, 1 Peter 5, 9 says we are a royal priesthood. Revelations 5, 10, we're a kingdom of priests, right? And so when we are in our priestly, we, as priests, all of us as priests, not just a few of us, that intimacy with God, that hotline with Him, that, 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 that personal connection. But notice, priests in community. It was a plurality of priests, right? It wasn't just one priest, one Moses, one gift, one grace. It was, the, it was our, our priesthood in family. Our priesthood in community exalting the one thing, holding the Ark of the Covenant. They were holding the Ark of the Covenant. All of Israel had to pass by and watch this sight. All of them had to see, this is what's going to get you to possess your promised land. This is for everybody. That speaks of the centrality of His presence and His finished work. His presence. That's where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence manifested. His presence, His finished work that's being embraced, being stewarded by the plurality of a priesthood, which is God's people. That's how we're going to go in. That's how you're going to possess your promised land. I love this. In fact, this point, like you said, they're in, they're on the, in the riverbed. The, the water stopped flowing. They're standing on a right dry riverbed, and they stand there until all 600,000 people pass by. That's a long time. That's a lot of people. It's about 600,000 Israelites. And they all passed by and they saw this sight. The plurality of priests holding the Ark of the Covenant, which was a statement to them. You know, that this is for all of you. But what's interesting, that after they, they march past the Ark of the Covenant... To make sure they don't forget it, God gives them the mark of the covenant right after that, which was what? Circumcision. Yeah. And I mean, buddy, was it a circumcision? I mean, there probably were several hundred thousand dudes 
that had to get the mark. And what is it? In, in, in um, uh, Genesis 17, circumcision is what? The reminder of covenant. That I have this covenant with all of you. Think about that. In fact, that there was so much surgery going on. There was so much chopping going on that they literally renamed the place Gibeoth, Gibeoth, Gibeoth Haraloth. Gibeon Haraloth, which means hill of the foreskins. That's, that's a lot of stuff. Don't get, don't get on me. It's in there. It's in there. This, listen, wait. No, we got to get how important this is. This was, this, this, what they had revelation, we actually have in fullness. Because they all, they all sought it's the priesthood and plurality. We are a royal priesthood. The presence, uh, this is for all of us. And then he put a mark in every man's body as a reminder. Remember David when he comes to the battlefield and he sees all of Israel running from Goliath? And then he says, Who's the uncircumcised Philistine? Did you notice that David's talking about his private parts? He's saying, He's uncircumcised. Was that trash talking? Was that just male bravado? No. He was saying the dude's got no covenant. He doesn't have God on his side. You guys do. Is anybody? Connie hates when I do this, but, you know, God put that mark in a place in a man's body that you got to look several times a day. You think that's by accident. It's not by accident. God wants us to know every day that this thing is for you. You've been marked by him. It belongs to you. It's not just about a few of us. It's about all of us. This is the most important demographic in this season. And, you know, demographic is the segment of human population. You know, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, you know, educated, illiterate, whatever you want. And, you know, different cultures and and when you study different demographics. But do you know who the, what the most important demographic in the season is? Everybody. God is in an everybody mood. He really is. This is about all of us. All of us are priesthood, connected. The centrality of his presence. We're all filled with it. And then we're in community. That just gives the maximum expression of who Jesus is in our community. Such a big deal. So important. I, 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 think, I, might have shared, I think I shared this yesterday. Uh, no, I didn't get to talk much yesterday. Oh, they let me talk on Friday. That was right. But I, I was part, Connie and I were part of a movement um, in uh, years ago. Before we went to South Africa, we were part of a movement that it, it, it prioritized the releasing of full-time ministers. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm a full-time, five-fold vocational minister. I respect that. I appreciate that. And I want to see that happen. But the Holy Spirit told me he was prioritizing full-time Christians. <laughs> yeah. Not part. See, a lot of Christians are part-time. I'm not talking about spiritually, but just the way they live their life. Because they often have, because we're so influenced by Greek thought and Western culture, we compartmentalize, we manage the parts. In the kingdom, it's holistic. It's, it's everywhere. He was poured out into everything, and he's never been pulled out of anything. 
He was poured out into everything, and he's never pulled out of anything. Anyway, all right, that went over real well. You guys are still, the guys are still going, ouch, you know, they're still going, that hurts. Um, can you, I, I, I just sometimes like to go there and think, man, how'd they do that? Did they, they just, you know, I, ne- never mind. I'm, that's a whole lot of surgery. I said, it's a mystery. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> but this shows how serious God is about all of us. How serious he is about that it's not just the gift. And the, thank God for gifts and ministries. Did you know most biblical governance in the Bible, in, 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 in the New Testament, is all of us? Did you know that? Most biblical governance in the scriptures is all of us. Making decisions, being creative, taking responsibility, exercising your faith. I mean, the church, we've relegated it to a handful of elders, usually guys. That's not what you find in scripture. I mean, you got to realize that the, 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 the motivational gifts of Romans chapter 10, uh, mo- Romans 12, motivation, that was the body. The gifts of the spirit are for the body. And then, if you don't like that, well, it says in, uh, in, in, in Hebrews 4.11 that the fivefold ministry is for what? The equipping, the releasing, the edifying of the body for the work of the ministry, for bringing the kingdom and seeing Jesus show up. Because we've become so focused on the organization, we've lost sight of the kingdom that we're all supposed to bring in our own backyards. Sunday should be a celebration of what the kingdom looks like in the trenches in between both Sundays. Your backyard, your family, your workplace. That's a, somebody's getting it right there, right there. Man in the front row, give him a book. Um, I'm, boy, that time, that clock's looking at me. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've heard that before. Um, uh, okay, <laughs> let me just give you another one here. Um, the very, <laughs> it must be fast. I'm sure it's fast. Um, John 1, 3, the very next thing that God says, the very next thing he says, he says this, everywhere the sole of your foot tread. Notice he didn't say everywhere your foot tread. Why didn't he just say that? He said, no, everywhere the sole of your foot treads. See, many Christians have interpreted that to mean, well, I just show up and it happens. I'm just going to walk around and it's mine. You know, that, that kind of thing. Well, and they can't figure out, well, I'm here. What's wrong? It says everywhere the sole of your foot. It literally means the hollow or the arch. An arch, archangel, it speaks of power and strength. We got to show up with some strength. We don't just show up. We've got to show up with some strength. And that's reinforced here in verse 6, 7, and 9, where he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Then in verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. See, often we aren't occupying and possessing our promised land because, you know, God's kingdom... God's grace, God's goodness is waiting for us to show up with the strength of repentance, the strength of forgiveness, the strength of kindness. 
The strength of risk, of faith, of hope, of humility, of teachableness. That's our, that's what we get to show up with. Think about that. You got, how'd you get born again? You showed up with repentance. I just repented. Boom. Wow. Am I amazing now? Showing up with strength. There are some, there is some promise we're supposed to step into. And the reason why, God's there. His grace is there. Absolutely. But we've got to show up. He's not the one not showing up. I mean, you know, I mean, when we get together like this, I mean, we're actually showing. He's already here. He is. The glory's already here. He's waiting for us to show up with openness, with teachableness, with with a servant heart, with faith, whatever it is. All these characteristics that we exercise. Amen. I could elaborate on that, but I think you got it. And just think, I'll tell you what, take a moment and think about an area of your life, a significant area of your life that you are not possessing. You know, you're, you're, you're entering, you're occupying space, but you are not possessing the kingdom in that area. Now, ask the Holy Spirit to show you a strength that you're not showing up with. The strength of forgiveness. Whatever it is. There's something that you have to show up with something. You have something to show up with. You really do. Don't believe the lie that somehow it's, you know, you, you, don't ha- you do have that. You've been designed with that. That's why he does all the saving, but you did the repenting. Come on. It's not a work. It's a matter of your design. It's a matter, it's the nature of relationships. You get to participate. It's not just done. Grace isn't what's done to you. Grace is what's done with you and through you. And trust me, 99.99999% is God. You know, that point zero 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 one percent is us. And so ask, what am I not showing up with? What's the strength that I'm not showing up with that is prohibiting me from really occupying the kingdom, possessing the kingdom in that area of my business, in my family, in my community, whatever it might be. Let me just give you a couple more and we'll wrap up. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> hmm. I'm, I'm sure glad they got T-I-M on the end. Because if they didn't, I might have to repent. <laughs> Saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Oh, wait, wait. I don't, I don't need to, I already read the first part. That's it. Here it is. <clears throat> he sent two spies secretly. And he says, go view the land, especially Jericho. He sent in two. Do you think Joshua would have remembered the 12 before? Because he was part of the 12, remember? He would have remembered what Moses did. Moses said in 12, how many came with a good report? (laughs) He learned something. He learned something that God always hides more and less. God always hides more and less. There's always a lot and a little. Stepping into your promise 
doesn't start with a majority. And it doesn't start in isolation. He sent them out in twos. Do you know why God said it's not good for man to be alone? Because it's not. But the point is, he didn't send 12 or 20 or 50 or 100. He sent two. Two people. I love that. I mean, think about it. He created a universe that could hold a planet like this. Did you know that the universe has to be that big for it to be a planet with life like this? I mean, um, David, uh, what's the, the astronomer? David Block, Dr. David Block, one of the most brilliant astronomers in the world today. He's a South African. I mean, he's got incredible, uh, incredible seminars, respected all around the world. He basically proves that the universe has to be this big in order for there to be a planet that would sustain life just like this. So God creates a universe so big we can't even fathom it, and a pretty big planet, and then he takes two people and he says, fill it. Did God know how big the earth was? Two people. I mean, and that is just God's, you know, that's his modus operandi. You know, two people for an entire planet. Moses and one stick. You know what I'm saying? David and one stone against Goliath. You know, Jesus, five loaves and two fish. It's just amazing how that is just a, a constant. And does, has anybody noticed that God will often ask you to do what's very difficult with, and without enough to with, seemingly without enough to do it. Anybody notice that? Anybody? Yeah. He does that. Get used to it. Get used to it. You need to. You see, if we always started with the more, we would live from the certainty of more rather than the certainty of him. By starting with less, it keeps drawing our faith out towards him rather than the stuff. It's a favor to us. It's a real big deal. I don't want to, I like a lot, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to start with a lot. There's a gravity to stuff. And the more stuff, the greater the pull, the greater the gravity. And so this is the nature of the kingdom. It's the few things. It really is. And it's, it's being able to celebrate every little victory. Why? Because it keeps you connected to the journey with the one who is the author of every victory. Every victory comes out of him. Every solution comes out of him. Every good gift comes down from the father of lights. Everything. And so when you celebrate, it keeps you connected in a relational journey, not just a process to acquire an end goal. Because it's the relationship that satisfies. It's the relationship that changes everything. Did you know this? That the two spies going into Jericho gave no strategic advantage to them defeating Jericho. Not one bit. In fact, if anything, it put them at risk. It telegraphed their coming. Did you know that? They got absolutely no strategic advantage by going into Jericho the way they did. What was the only benefit? Rahab. The only benefit was Rahab. While Joshua was thinking reconnaissance, God is reaching the one. It's a lesson in the value of one. It's a reminder of the value of one. You see, we don't win the world by reaching the world. We win the world by loving the one. Yeah. 
You don't, you don't reach the world by, by winning the world. You reach the world by loving the one. That's how this works. How we treat the least of us will determine the atmosphere for all of us. How we treat the least of us will determine the atmosphere for all of us. How many remember Abraham bargaining with God for Sodom? Anybody remember that? And, and he starts to just deal with God. Okay, God, if there's 50, will you not destroy it? And God said, I don't want to destroy it. He says, oh, well, you know, how about 45? I won't destroy it for 45. And then he says, how about 40? I won't destroy it for 40. How about 30? You know, I won't destroy it for 30. How about 20? I won't destroy it for 20. How about 10? And God says, I won't destroy it for 10. Now, what's interesting, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't Abraham bargain down to one? One of two reasons. Either number one, this, is that he, he, he thought that there were ten. Or number two, he does not know the value of one. And Jesus has showed us the value of one. I personally believe if he had bargained down to one, he'd have got it. And we can see that in Jesus. We can see that in the nature of our Heavenly Father. We really can. Those who can love the one are best qualified to win the world. Remember, um, it says that in in, in, um, Matthew 18, it says the good shepherd leaves the 99 in search of what? The one. He also said in Luke 15, said, why, why did Jesus say that there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents? Because there's nothing more precious and more powerful than the giving of one heart. Did you know that you were not a group rate? The blood of Jesus was not a group price. People think so. It wasn't a group price. It was the same price paid for everybody. Jesus would have had to pay that for individuals. Every individual has that payment over their life. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's amazing. One heart, one life, one person made in the very image of God. Is that precious? Is that important? In our quantity-focused world, we can lose sight of the value of one. We can lose sight of the power of one. Fortunately, God doesn't. He doesn't. So much gets released in how we treat the one. It does. And you know what? A lot gets restricted in how we treat the one. It really does. I mean, Peter, Peter said, treat your wives as fellow heirs or your prayers are going to be hindered. That's one, that's one. Well, it should be one. <laughs> if you got more than one wife, you got trouble. I don't know how anybody does it. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. We need to, and sometimes you just have to, there are things that become an impediment because of the way we treat somebody. It really does. And we need to ask that question in our sphere, in our world. Father, is there one that I'm treating in an unrighteous way, in an ungodly way, in a self-centered way? It, it's a, God is really into everybody. Remember I told you that? Yeah. See, you are, you are not just one in seven and a half billion people. You are a one of a kind. Think about that. It's not just about all of us. It's about each of us. 
It's a big deal. And, and sometimes you can find there's, you're, you're not breaking through. You're not stepping into promise because of, 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 of your treatment, your attitude. And God will show you what that is. He really does. He's, he leaves the nine in search of the one. He'll work with us on the basis of one. And, some, and that's what, think about it, Ananias, the impact. Ananias had one, at least the one conversion that we're aware of in Scripture, Paul. The serving, the loving, the reaching of just the one. How powerful and amazing that is. But also the, the restriction and the restraint that can come when we miss it. So ask if there's an area in your life. And it's not always the case. Sometimes it's just the devil. You know, you're just getting resisted and it's the enemy and you've got to press through with your faith. But sometimes it's our own doing. Our own choices, our own attitudes, our own judgments, our own fear, our own hardness, whatever it might be. And then, the, and then the last here, and um, last thing I want to mention, is in going back to verse 3, every place, everywhere, every place the sole of your foot treads, every place. I love this. Every place, because he's already there, remember? He's already there. He's already showed up. We have to show up. And we, sh- we don't just show up with our bodies. We show up with that which heaven recognized that's in its same image that was made by it. The faith. The faith you have. Your will. Did you know your will was given by Almighty God? Think about that. There's nothing in creation that has a human will. The animal kingdom, it's, it's instinct. It's all pre-wired, internalized design that determines choice. Not for us. Your will is one of the best evidences that you are called to live on earth from heaven, from heaven to earth. Because you're the only thing in creation that can make decisions contrary to the conditions around you. Wow. Powerful. It's amazing. And heaven sees faith. So you got to realize, so people often, they get, they get hung up. They stumble over what didn't happen or how it didn't happen or when it didn't happen. you got to realize The quality of your faith is not determined by an immediate outcome. The quality of your faith is determined by the one you trust. Heaven always rewards it. And here's the last thing, and I'm going to end with a story, uh, with 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 a testimony. There is nothing about your life that's insignificant. Nothing. I'm not saying there's not insignificant things, but there's nothing insignificant about your life. If it's valuable to you, it's valuable to him. And parents, we understand that. God wants us, we, we, have, we have classified and categorized God in certain compartments of life, in certain zones. Okay, God's, you know, he'll, this is a big deal. He's really into the way we gather on Sunday or a big missions or some big undertaking. You know what I'm saying? We, but, but. You know, kind of in the small, just normalities of our daily life. We, we, we tend to just think, oh, God, he's just too busy. He's too big, you know, for stuff like that. It's ridiculous. You have been designed. You have been created to be able to trust him in everything. He will partner with you in anything. If he sees faith, if he sees faith in his direction, there he is. I was, um, was house-sitting for some friends in Stellenbosch, South Africa. Anybody ever been to Stellenbosch? A few people. Beautiful place, eh? I was suffering on the mission field. Yeah. You know, it was actually a wine farm. And uh, 
you know? <laughs> and, uh, well, it used to be a wine farm. And I was house city for a week, as I said, suffering on the mission field. And, um, and I was going to be there for an entire week by myself. And they had a microwave from outer space. Or from hell, depends on how you look at it. And it was, I could not figure out how to get it. It wasn't an old one. It was like brand new, but it was fancy. But it didn't have the normal numbers and stuff. It had symbols. And I couldn't figure out how to get I mean, it was a confection oven. It walked the dog. It washed the clothes. It just could do everything. But, but I couldn't figure out how to get it to work. I looked for a manual, couldn't find one. I was just, I just, finally I just stopped trying to figure this thing out. The last day... The last day before I'm supposed to leave, they're coming back. I have my last packet of instant Starbucks coffee, last one. And so I, I, I open it up, put it in my cup, put my cremora in, and, 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 and I heat up the water, and I pour the hot water in the cup, and I stir it up, and I'm about to enjoy my last cup of Star, instant Starbucks coffee, and the phone rang. And so I, I, I distracted for about 20 minutes. And I go back to the coffee, and it's lukewarm. Now, you know what God says about lukewarm coffee. Revelation, you know, you spew that stuff out. Lukewarm coffee is not saved. It doesn't go to heaven. I mean, I got to tell you, I don't drink lukewarm coffee. And anybody that likes cold coffee, you need deliverance. I don't get that. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, If it's not hot, it's not coffee. It's nasty. You know, it's just, but, 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 but. I don't throw out my last cup. You know, I'm not going to throw out my last cup of Starbucks coffee. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. Now, I don't even think about the microwave. I mean, that thing has schooled me, had spanked me all week. I don't, even, I don't even think about it. I actually thought about heating it up on the stove. I think, and then I realized how nasty that would be. That would make it so bitter and so yucky. And then all of a sudden, this, you can see the tape in heaven. This is exactly what happened. I was standing there, and I just had this aha moment, you know, this kind of serendipitous moment. This, and and, and I, I, I looked at the microwave, and suddenly I thought, God knows how you work. I just realized, wait, God knows how you work. I don't have a clue. And so this is what I did. I opened the door. I put the cup in. I closed the door. I stood back. I closed my eyes. I'm proud. This is exactly what happened. I said, Jesus, would you help me heat up my coffee? I opened my eyes. My eyes went to two buttons in consecutive order, which I pushed, and I got 60 seconds. I mean, I almost got slayed in the spirit. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Whoa! Why? Because all of a sudden I realized the God of the universe intervened to help me heat up my coffee. God did that. I mean, I, I literally forgot about the coffee. It was like, Jesus, really? You're that involved? You really care? Yeah, and, and the answer is yes. Yeah. Now, the last thing I want to leave you with this, and I'm going to pray for you, is that faith is simply acting like you have what you're believing for. There's going to be some corresponding response. See, Hope doesn't have response like that, but faith does. A lot of Christians are not living in hope. Their faith are living in hope. Hope's encouraging, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't encourage you, but it's faith that draws out of hope. So there has to be 
there will always be a corresponding response. For instance, my son Ben, they grew up playing cricket and rugby in South Africa. Ben was having his last high school cricket game. He was actually the captain of the team. I mean, it's my favorite sport. No, for you that have no idea what that means, cricket's not a bug. It's a sport. And, and he was going to have his last game. He was going to have his last at bat. And I was at home working. I said, Ben, when you're about to go in, let me know. I'm going to come and watch. I don't want to miss your last at bat. He said, sure, Dad. Well, he didn't remember. He forgot to call me. I realized something's not right. I call his phone. His, his teammate picks it up and said, Ben's in batting. And I'm thinking, oh, man, bummer. I can't watch his last, I can't miss his last at bat. So I run out to the car, and I get in my car, and I said, God, don't let him go out till I get there. Keep him in batting until I get there. And as soon as I said that, God said, okay, then don't speed. You got to realize, that's all I do. You live in Joburg, you drive fast. You know, we're supposed to be at the speed of light. I mean, seriously, I, I've never driven the sp- 60 kilometers an hour. I mean, I can run faster than that. Nah, I'm going, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're really trusting me, then let me see it. Don't speed. I mean, going 60 Ks an hour was like hell. My flesh was just screaming. This is, I hated it, but I did it. I said, okay, I'm trusting God. I'm not trusting how fast I get there. And I got there, and he was still in. I got to watch. I'm trying to make a point that there's always going to be some corresponding response on our part. And the reason I say that is because some of us in a given area of our life, we're operating in a lot of hope, but we don't have much faith. Faith literally acts like you have what you're believing for. And now I want to, I'm going to pray for you right now because I believe God wants to show you. He's going to give you some corresponding response, some corresponding action. It's not a works thing. It's just a relational thing. Okay, if you're trusting me, then, then, then change something practically that should be evident. Faith is evident in your actions. In the tone of your voice, the way you respond. Father, right now, I thank you for this house. I thank you for your sons and daughters in this room that I I just respect and love, and I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of. And Father, I thank you that you've not called them just to enter and occupy, occupying space, hanging around. There's a lot of hanging around that's going on. But, but taking possession, taking hold, they've got it. They're possessing it. They're living it. They're demonstrating it. So, Father, right now, as even, even this word, the, the different pieces in the word, and going back to we're resistant to change, we're resistant to new things, taking new risks, new relationships, new connections. We're resisting the priesthood, our own priesthood, our own intimacy, our own daily relationship with you, or we're resisting the the relationships, the connections, the family dynamic that we're meant to be in. Or Father, somehow there's we are we are there's the one. And we just like you 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 hide so much and so what seems so little how we treat the one. 
how Ananias treated Paul. Barnabas, how he treated Saul who became Paul. The one. Brings incredible breakthrough or restriction and restraint. Show us that. Holy Spirit, let this be applied to our lives by you. Father, the faith that you've given us to trust you, not just on Sunday, not just at the, at the, the School of Supernatural Ministry, but in all the spaces, in all the places, and even behind some unlikely faces. Right now, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to your sons and daughters? they could go from just hoping to trusting. Hoping for something to really trusting you in that area and that you will give them an appropriate response. What does faith look like in that situation? It meant me not speeding. That's what it looked like. I'm not going to speed because I'm trusting God. I'm not trusting how fast I drive. Would you show us that right now? Show us that right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ha 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 